College Football Podcast with Herbie and Pollock. Now here's your host, Kevin Nagandi. Welcome to the College Football Podcast. Kevin Nagandi here with you. We hope uh, everybody that's listening is healthy and is safe and staying at home. And for the next uh, 35 to 40 minutes, we hope we could uh, provide you with some entertainment while uh, we try to stay uh Stay safe and flatten that curve because I'm telling you, if we try to flatten this curve uh, during the spring, hopefully that brings football for all of us in the fall. That is that is the big storyline here as we get through April. Mel Kuyper's on the show, and let me tell you, Mel Kuyper is one of my favorite guests. The guy is always ready, always ready to talk and always ready to expand about draft picks and getting ready for the combine and it, it, getting ready for his Three days in prime time. Whenever you ask Mel to do something, he's there, and I love the guy. And he's got some great stories about Todd McShay. We talk a little bit about Justin Herbert and Tua Tungavailoa and the comps, and a little breakdown about the defenses and the running back position, how much it has changed when it comes to priorities on draft night. Uh, before we get to Mel, I've got to remind you to tune into The Last Dance. It's a behind-the-scenes look at the 90s Chicago Bulls dynasty. Thankfully, they moved it up, and and we all benefited. I love this documentary. The series continues this Sunday, 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. And listen to the wrap-up podcast hosted by Jalen and Jacoby immediately following the broadcast, presented by State Farm and AT&T. You can find the Jalen and Jacoby and their weekly wrap-up show wherever you enjoy your podcast. We hope you enjoy this college football podcast with Mel Kuyper Jr. And it's so good to have, I mean, you, you don't have the draft without mentioning his name, Mel Kuyper Jr. here on the college football podcast. Uh, Mel, this is, is this year 41 for you? Tell me, let, let me know how many years have you been a part of this, this draft process? Well, since 1979, Kev, I don't know how many years that is, but I think 42, so 37 at ESPN, 42 covering it, so it's been a, uh, I tell you, it's been a heck of a run when you think about where we are in terms of the draft and, and not having rechecks and things, and I always go back to 71 and 74 as the two best drafts in NFL history with the Steelers before you had all that, Kev, so maybe teams will be just fine come next week. What's it been like for you? First off, we hope everybody in your family is safe and healthy. Uh, what's the experience been like for you? Because we've never seen a draft like this where everybody's handling it through the virtual online, through Zoom, through meetings, and no one's interacting with each other. Well, nobody is complaining about it, Kevin, that I've spoken to. I think the concern is the technology, the Internet, uh, you know, all those things that they break down. How will communication be? I think they're concerned, too, with trades. Can you communicate well enough? Now, obviously, you couldn't do what you did before, and a lot of that was key to trades, you know, hand signals, eye contact, all the things you get without even saying a word from people in a room, you know. So I think they're just wondering about that, but I have, but the teams I've spoken to, Kev, are fine with the situation they're going to deal with it they feel like it's not going to affect the you know the draft and the, the players they bring in they have enough information most of the teams kept that really have a well-fortified scouting department they're ready to go middle of march i mean they really are as soon as the combine's over they get all that information middle of march they're ready to roll so again you had the combine you had all that you had the all-star games you had all that stuff the regular season so the only thing missing was pro days and pro days sometimes can skew things a little bit now what it will do is hurt the, un- the non-combine guys 
the nine combine guys, about 35 to 40 every year get drafted. Maybe that number kicks down to 15 to 20, but they'll have chances to prize priority free agents to pick the team that best suits what they do, and uh, they can come in and have every opportunity to make a football team. Uh, is is it where you can bring 30 players in, right, in the process from the combine mm-hmm. before the draft? How much do you think that's going to play a role and hurt guys like Tua Tungavailoa, who has questions about – you know, the health and, and moving forward. Uh, how about, you know, Justin Herbert and trying to get to know the guy off the tape, outside of the tape, or even Jordan Love to understand what happened from 2018 to 2019. And you want to put him on a big board and say, all right, design some stuff for us. What are you going to do? How much does it hurt guys like that, that you don't have that face-to-face interaction? Well, I think what it'll do, Kev, is have guys that you're equal. If you have two players pretty close in grade, then you may just that that'll settle the tie. That'll settle it. They're close. Uh, maybe they'll they'll skew it to the guy they had more information on or whatever, or he has a little bit of a, an injury we weren't able to check out enough or feel comfortable enough with. So those are things that go on anyway, Kev. You're always trying to separate players. And guess what? It's 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 not an exact science. I've talked to these teams. They're splitting hairs with a lot of these players. They're they're down to kind of one and one a. I like this guy, but I like this guy too. And you know, if he's in, it's going to be a, a discussion about this guy and this guy if they're both there. It's still this continues on until the pick is made. In some cases, because everybody doesn't exactly know how this is going to script out. This is all unscripted. Nobody knows for sure. They're all trying to do their various mock drafts to try to figure it out. But that's the element of the draft that's so fascinating. You, you can think you know, but you really don't know. And and that's why teams, I think, can sit there on draft night and see a guy slip to them and say, "Boy, we didn't think he'd be here. Let's take him." Well, there you go. So it comes all the the best laid plans go by the board. So I think the teams right now are still trying to, obviously their ratings are set, but I think they're still trying to figure out how this draft is going to go. They really do that, Kev, up until the draft. They're, we talk about, oh, Kuiper and McShay and everybody and Daniel and Jeremiah and everybody doing mock drafts. They do their own. They're checking all this out. They're as interested in all this stuff as anybody. I mean, Bill Belichick always said, he, I think her people said he did tons of mock drafts. He wants to see all these mock drafts. So I think teams are always asking about where you think, what do you think? So they're trying to just get get a hand on to how things could play out uh, next Thursday. Where do you think the turning point will be on night one in this draft? I think it's going to be at three and four to see if there, in fact, will be a trade uh, involving the quarterback. And if they, don't, if you don't see that, Kev, it tells you that teams weren't convinced about Tua enough to say we're going to go up and get him ahead of Miami. And if Miami passes on him and the Chargers take him, then it's easy. But if the Chargers would pass, then where does Tua go? So I think the intrigue is three and four. Detroit and the Giants trying to maybe trade down a little bit there and and hope that a team wants to come up and get a quarterback. And if that doesn't happen, does Miami take Herbert or Tua? And then do the Chargers take whoever's left over of those two? Then, obviously, where does Jordan Love fall, the next quarterback? Uh, that would be the next entry. So it's always about the quarterbacks, it seems like. But in this draft, more than any other, it's because of Tua. And like I say, where is he going to go, considering that, you know, without the injury, it had been in a discussion to be the number one pick. I still think Burrow would have been the number one pick. But it would have made it where a team would have probably kept traded up. Had it been everything perfect, perfect world with Tua, I think somebody would have definitely traded up and the Redskins would have considered to it number two had he been healthy through the process so we had McShay on last week and McShay had brought up and and you've been part of these conversations that we've had on SportsCenter where he he brought up Miami really wants Joe Burrow at least that's what he's hearing and Miami has the collateral when you look at uh, the, the picks that they have this year and next year especially in the top two rounds next year as well what are you hearing about the Miami Dolphins and the quarterback that they like well, it's Burrow, but you're not going to get him, Kevin. And think about this. 
if you're Cincinnati, now if you love Herbert, and, and there's, there's talk out there that there's some people in the Bengals organization that loves Herbert. Hearing that secondhand, but that's what you hear. Well, if that's the case, maybe they could risk moving down from one to five, take Herbert there, because there's no guarantee Herbert would still be there. Who says somebody wouldn't trade up to get him, right? So you could lose Burrow and you could lose Herbert. Then you take two, but if you're not sold, you don't want to take a quarterback you're not sold on. So they want to make sure they get, if there's two quarterbacks they love, then get one of them. Make sure you get one of them. You can't lose both of them. That's why Daniel Jones made sense for the Giants. You couldn't have risked getting a wait until 17 to get Daniel Jones if you consider him a franchise quarterback. You take him. Now, if somebody falls in your lap you didn't expect, it's different. You go back when Chad Pennington went to the Jets. They didn't think he would be there. They had a quarterback, you know, but they didn't know it, and they took him. But they, they waited because they didn't need, need him as desperately as a team like the Bengals need a quarterback. And the thing is, too, Kev, think about the Bengals. In 1984, they drafted Boomer Sison in the second round. They had three first-round picks, none of which panned out big. Brian Blados was okay. The other two were busts. Okay? Without Boomer, what would that team have been? And they mm. had three first-round picks. Okay? Those, there's no uh, guarantee those picks that you get are going to be great players. When New England drafted Tom Brady, okay? go back to that draft, Kev. There ain't anything coming out of that draft of Tom Brady. They ain't anything. So they got Tom Brady at the end of the sixth round, the greatest of all time, right? Well, the rest of that draft didn't produce much. So, again, if you don't get the quarterback, you're spinning your wheels. You can have all these picks you want. You're not going to hit them all anyway. And even if you hit some, if you don't have the quarterback, you're not going to win. So if you think Burrow is better than any quarterback in this draft, I don't care what the Miami Dolphins offer. You're taking Joe Burrow. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit about Justin Herbert because I'm fascinated by the kid because he could have been a top six, seven eight pick a year ago if he came out he decided to come back and and i think at the beginning of the year everybody thought it's going to be a battle between herbert and tua and Tua's probably going to be the number one pick and then joe burrow decided to have the greatest year ever for a college mm-hmm. quarterback right? right where is justin herbert in your mind and also what's the comps for justin herbert right now when you look at him because i say that when the tape shows you something you see the arm talent you see you see his, his skill set. You see the size. It just – I think that you don't see something else clicking that franchise quarterbacks should have. What do you see? I'm, I'm going from my opinion. I'm asking what do you see from Herbert and who do you compare him to? Well, we see the same things, Kev, but the Oregon offense – dictated certain things, too. And he didn't have much around. And Jim Nagy's bringing, bringing up that great point all week. That he didn't have, if you think about it, where's Oregon's, over the last couple of years, where's their high draft pick on the skill, at the skill positions? Where is it? They don't have one. So, again, uh, they got a great left tackle. will be a high pick next year. But outside of some of those offensive linemen were even overrated. Okay? So they didn't have the talent. Two has got four first-round picks. He had a, a first-round tight end two years ago. He had a first-round running back two years ago, and he had a heck of a running back this year. And he's got a first-round, a high-left right tackle, and a high-left tackle next year. So the talent around Tua, people say, well, he's so much better than Herbert. Well, guess what? The talent around Tua was 100,000 times better than what Herbert had. Okay? So, I mean, there's a first-round receiver. They got four of them at all. They had a first-round tight end. Like I said, a first-round running. Herbert didn't have any of that. So they want to say, well, Tua's so much better in terms of going through progressions and throwing with Well, guess what? Yeah, the talent around him allowed a lot to have that to happen. So, for me, I think Herbert is a work in progress. I think people think they get him into the NFL. You saw that Senior Bowl week. Have you saw it in Mobile. He looked like he was shining down there. He looked at a different quarterback. He was throwing with anticipation. He was moving around. He was throwing. He was going through progressions. In the game, he was the MVP. He was the MVP of the practices over Jordan Love. Jordan Love wasn't the MVP of the practices. It was Herbert. So I think, you know what I'm hearing? I'm hearing the same criticism of Herbert that we heard with Josh Allen. 
And, yeah, he didn't do this, he didn't do that. Remember, he lost a lot of players. He lost his center, his running back, his tight end, and his receiver. Mobility-wise and speed-wise, he's very comparable to Allen. Size-wise, he's very comparable. Arm strength, he's very comparable. I mean, there's a lot of Josh Allen there. I, I, the, you know, Josh is more outwardly, uh, you know, boisterous. He's a leader. He loves it. You know, he's just, I got it. Just, you know, wears his heart on his sleeve type of thing, right? He let you know everything. Josh is out there, man. He's screaming. Justin's not that kind of guy. Justin's the 4-4 grade point. He's a cerebral kid, one of the smartest quarterbacks you'll ever come across. He does it in a low-key manner. And people said he's an introvert. He's not a leader. What the senior bowl players gravitated to him. I watched him. We were at the combine. They gravitated to him there. So you don't have to be a screamer and a yeller to be a leader. Uh, Josh does it his way. And Josh is a phenomenal leader and the most competitive player you'll ever be around. I think Justin had to prove he's that type of competitor. You know, they're all competitors that play football, Kev. But are they a 10 or are they a 6-7? I think he had to prove he wasn't a 6. And I think people became more enamored with that aspect of his game when they were with him at the senior bowl and saw him at the combine. Who would you compare him to? I'd say Josh. And in a way, uh, just from the criticism of Josh, I thought some of it was very unfair. I think I still think the criticism, that guy won 10 games. He lost four in the games he started and finished. Uh, you let him do a playoff game. He had a 16 nothing lead in there. He did nothing to, to screw it up. It, mm-hmm. you know, other things happened. But, I mean, people just want to keep criticizing him. I think people will keep criticizing Justin Herbert once he's in the league cap because everybody wants to be proven right. If you didn't like him, you want to say, well, yeah, he, he didn't want to get to the playoff, but he didn't want a Super Bowl. So I told you he wasn't that good. If he wins a Super Bowl, well, he won it, but it wasn't because of him. Well, you know, would you, would you compare – would you compare Herbert to Allen physically, uh, uh, like skill set? Like uh, you could you could do the, the I, I I understand what you're saying on how they are personality wise and the impression that they have and who they worked with in college. But when it comes to the skill set that Herbert has, the arm talent that he has, uh, he, he's not a scrambler scrambler like Allen. But do you compare him to any other quarterback, or is it still Josh Allen in your mind? Well, remember, this, it's amazing, Kev, with revision of history with quarterbacks. Josh yeah. wasn't considered a scrambler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nobody raved about Josh Allen. I was talking about it, and I remember talking to Craig, Craig Bowl about it. But I didn't hear anybody else saying he was a runner and he was a threat with his. I mean, everybody was saying he's just. They were talking about how he's not a good passer. He had his accuracy, his completion percentage. That's all they harped on. But they'll go back and do revisionist history on that. Josh Allen can run. Josh Allen has proved he's a tremendous runner. Okay, very most effective rushing time as far as rushing touchdowns. Number one, even ahead of Lamar. So to me, I think you look at at, uh, at uh, Justin Herbert six. You know, about it, six six and a quarter, two hundred thirty six pounds, big hand, ran four six eight and a thirty six and a half for a thirty five and a half vertical. Now that's big time talent. Same as Josh. I think people saw Justin Herbert in that Rose Bowl, able to beat you with his legs. They, they'll see it in the NFL. What he has to, you know, what he needs, Kev. He needs a shot of confidence to say, "Hey, that's what people are. Will we be confident enough to, to?" As Daniel Jeremiah said, "Just let it rip. You got the arm. You see it. Let it rip. You see a little gap. Take off and run." Josh will do that. Josh does say he's, he's brash. He's confident. Yeah, he, he, he's he's highly, highly competitive. Yeah, that's the way he is. And sometimes he gets into trouble. He gets, he's you know competitive and reckless. Yeah, there's a fine line there. Sometimes Josh gets a little reckless. Okay, Justin doesn't. Maybe he's not reckless enough. Okay, maybe he needs to watch Josh a little more on tape and say, I can do those things without being reckless, but I certainly have that skill set that Josh does to take my game to the NFL and be that multi-dimensional threat that Josh Allen is. So I think those are things that we'll see if it all comes together as everybody wants to see with Josh, and it has. And look at the improvement he made in every category, significant improvement. Justin makes that same improvement by year two, year three. Then the skill set and the mindset, the smarts, he's a great kid. There's nothing not like about him other than the 
you know, the, the talk about is he a true – you know what it is? Is he a thrower? Is he a pitcher? We talk about that in baseball. Mm-hmm. I think Josh had to prove that. I think Justin has to show that he's a well-rounded quarterback from, from the, 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 just the innate ability, the instinctive ability, going through progression, seeing the field, hitting receivers that can do the maximum with the football after the catch. Okay, all of those things, wrong with anticipation, all those things that you want to nitpick with some of these guys is being done with Herbert. Will it all come together? Uh, I hope it will because he's a great kid. What do you see when you when you watch Jordan Love, and who who, who would you compare him to? Yeah, he's interesting. I, the Mahomes, uh, you know, uh, talk is exaggerated, Kev. I don't buy into that. Um, you know, Mahomes was, was playing pitch and catch with those kids at Texas Tech and having great numbers and doing all those great things. You know, Jordan Love this past year struggled. Now, I, I would excuse some of that away to him trying to do too much because what's the difference if you lose by 14 or lose by 30? Does it matter, Kev? It's still a loss, right? Mm-hmm. So he was just trying to win a game and he tried to do things that weren't there. So I think when you look at him talent wise from two years ago, he was a real deal. He maybe had guys around him. Them. Now, he had decent supporting cast, but, he, you know, Gerald Bright was a decent back, but he wasn't Darwin Thompson. The tight end wasn't as good as Raymond. The receivers, Mariner was okay, but the, some of the guys that left were right in tune with him. He lost four starters on the offensive line. So, again, you're talking about a guy who was dealing with a lot of players taken away from him from the previous year. So his interceptions went up from 6 to 17. His touchdowns came down. You knew that would happen, but he can spin it. Uh, you know, there's no question he's got the arm talent. I'll be anxious to see if the Raiders take him at 12 or 19. Uh, and then if he gets into that middle of the first round, who's going to trade up to get him? Uh, or does he slip and slide all the way down? You know, I mean, that's happened before. Look at Aaron Rodgers and others. So we'll see. He's going to be, it's going to be fascinating with him if he, if he gets past the Raiders at 12 and 19 and there's nobody has traded up. Where does he go? And for Todd, Todd still believes he's going to go in the top five or six ahead of Justin Herbert. So everybody's got opinions, Kev. We'll see you on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday how this all works out. I've mentioned this to Todd, and you and I have talked about it on SportsCenter a couple of times. If it wasn't for the quarterback, and no matter what year it is, we're always going to talk about the quarterback. But in this draft, if it wasn't for the quarterback, we'd be talking about the defense in the top ten. I, I just think it's so outstanding. How would you uh, how would you rate the the defensive prospects? Uh, and and that's not just the top ten. I mean, when you get past the the Derek Browns, the Chase Youngs, the Akutas, and the Simmons, you, you've got a ton of talent. When we talk about the cornerbacks, the safeties, and Kenneth Murray at linebacker, how would you assess this defense in the first round? It's pretty strong, Kev. I think you, you, you look at well, Jeff Okuda is a shutdown corner. Isaiah Simmons is a freak. He can do everything. Derek Brown should be an outstanding defensive tackle. C.J. Henderson can cover. Tackling's got to improve, but he's a second corner. He's got talent. Kaylevon Chason is a great pass rusher. I mean, he's got it. Remember, he had the ACL, then he had the ankle. And, you know, he came back late this year. I mean, he came on. So he's not came back. He played this year, but he came on late this year. And he really got after the quarterback. So I think Chason is really – Javon Kinlaw's got a ton of talent at defensive tackle. Zach Bond gets after it uh, coming out of Wisconsin. Uh, linebacker Antoine Winfield is a true playmaker. His father was a great player. He was a great player. Patrick Queen and Kenneth Murray, there's a the split in the league about who the best of those two are between Murray and Queen. Uh, you know, so they're in the corners, even after that, there's some guys who are kind of boom or bust, but they're going to go, like Jalen Johnson, Utah, A.J. Terrell, Clemson, Noah Benogany from Auburn uh, is going to go. Uh, you know, I think you look at some borderline first, the defensive tackle, and Justin Matabike from, from uh, Texas A&M and Ross Blacklock from TCU. So, yeah, uh, uh, Yitor Gro 
Ambrose Matos, defensive end from Penn State, in that late first round discussion. Even even Grant Delpit, the Thorpe Award winner, we haven't mentioned. He's got Mm -hmm. he's probably an early to mid second round pick. Didn't have a great year. uh, Needed to run good at the Pro Day. Didn't happen. So at the end, because you know he didn't have it. But uh, uh, yeah, he's got you know two years ago he was a great player. Then he had the ankle injury. So Grant Delpit is going to be in this discussion sometime in the late first, early to mid second. Yeah, Delpit's one of those guys. Uh, like you mentioned a year ago, he would have been uh, he would have been in the same breath as going in the top fifteen, top twenty, and then uh, the physicality. You could see that uh, some of that was missing last year, and, and maybe the injury played a big role. Is there one guy that you think when we look at the top three rounds that's not getting the hype that you've circled and you're going to keep an eye on uh, for the next uh, the first two nights? Yeah, I think there's a, a couple guys. I think Jeremy Chen, a safety from Southern Illinois, is a guy who played a little corner. He's got a 6'3", 221, ran 4'4", 5", vertical 41. You say, well, that's great. How'd he play? And 15 tackles in a game against Western Illinois. Uh, he had uh, 13 career interceptions. He had seven career interceptions in high school. The kid just finds the ball. He's got length, too. Very long arms. So watch him. I think Jalen Rager and Devin Duvernay are two really good receivers that may not go in the first round, but they're going to go in the second. And Rager can fly out of TCU. He's a great punt returner. Didn't have quarterback could get him the ball on a consistent basis. And Dever New Duvernay had over 100 catches. This kid was phenomenal at Texas. Ran you know, 4-3-9, can fly. Uh, great kid, hard worker, cousin of Kyler Murray. Uh, Devin Duvernay from Texas and Jalen Rager, I'll be keeping an eye on them to see exactly where they are go. And an intriguing guy, Cameron Dantzler, a cornerback from Mississippi State, ran 4-6-4 at the Combine, but had a really good year. Uh, how far does that 4-6-4 push him? Does it push him into the late second, third round, when he played at times like a first-rounder? Uh, keep an eye on him as well Kev. You and I have talked about the draft for for my 14 years at ESPN and one thing I think uh, we should note here is you were ahead of the curve when it came to examining running backs. Uh, A a shock 14 years ago when you would say hey I wouldn't invest in a a high pick on a a, uh, that means a first rounder on a running back when running backs were still a huge part of the draft process. But we've got some talent here when we when we look at the the quality of running backs that we could see late in the first round and throughout the second round. Uh, help me understand how the NFL now has adapted to this philosophy that you have in saying we're going to find a back a little bit later. We don't need to to maybe go a little bit higher than projected when when it comes to drafting a running back. I've always seen it, Kev. I went back to what we way long, Thurman Thomas, second round mm. pick, and I can give you a laundry list. It was based on studying the, the, the personnel of the team, studying who won big, uh, studying all those things, Kev, which you needed. Now there's always going to be an exception to the rule. And, and if it is, and I always said, hey, if, if uh, a running back up there at the top has a high grade and he's hired in, and our coach is pounding on the table saying, I got to have him, I'm the champ, I'll say, okay, if his grade is right there or better than where he's going, and he's an elite elite guy and that coach that I gotta have him. If I don't have he's our missing link, okay? And you say, okay, maybe I'll make an adjustment there. But but for the most part I've always stood to that whole thing. Why? Look, look at the teams, Kev, from seven from eighteen on down. The Steelers would have been picking at eighteen, okay? No first round running back there. Okay, Le'Veon Bell when he was there was a second round pick. Okay. You think about the the the, the um, Chicago Bears. You think about where the all these teams are. Look at the Kansas City Chiefs. Look what they won with. Look what the 49ers win with. Look at the Packers. 
Look, I look at Tennessee with Derrick Henry. Baltimore people say Mark, Mark Ingram wasn't drafted by the Ravens. Okay, he wasn't the Ravens pick. Okay, you look at Seattle, they were shot Penny, but who's their guy? Chris Carson, undrafted. Okay, you go through all these teams: Minnesota, Dalvin Cook, second round pick; New Orleans, Alvin Kamara with a third round pick. You know, New England has one who was a late round pick. Okay, that was it, uh, and that was you know there are a host of guys that contribute there. Uh, same thing with Buffalo. You know, because Devin Singletary, look where he went last year. Frank Gore was what a third round pick when he came out. So I think you, you can see the teams picking late didn't have the guy. The teams picking early, some of those teams have taken those running backs high. So it, it, for me, it's probably about DeAndre Swift from Georgia, Kev. I think he's the one the most well-rounded. I think the best runner is J.K. Dobbins and Jonathan Taylor. And I say Dobbins first because Dobbins is a little bit better ball security. What good is it to be a great runner if you're going to fumble the ball? And that's what Jonathan Taylor's got to correct. 18 fumbles, 15 lost. He's a phenomenal runner when he holds onto the ball. He's the best runner when he holds onto the ball in this draft. Okay, he's got a lot of tread on the tires, but he's never been hurt. His receiving's got to improve a little bit. He's, but he's a great runner, right? And he's got tremendous speed for a 226 pounder. But you're rolling the dice there that will be like Tiki Barber and eliminate the fumbles, and he'll continue to improve as a receiver. I saw him drop some easy swing passes this year. Uh, I say J.K. Dobbins is a fierce runner. Receiving is good, not great. Okay, not great. And he has had a few ball security issues, but he's a fierce runner. Swift isn't the runner those two are, but he can catch. He can block. He's got good ball security. So he's probably, of all those guys, the, like I say, the most well-rounded of that group. And, and I got to mention this because just uh, this is who I am. You didn't mention the Eagles, and I just think immediately of Miles Sanders, right? And then you go to LaShawn McCoy way back in the day where they're not using a lot of picks. When they won the Super Bowl, they had a combination where you get Blunt, you get Clement. Clement's a guy that they didn't use yep. a, a high pick on him, and, and they find a way to insert it. That, uh, coming back to that conversation, though, uh, what do you think of what the Panthers did this week and with McCaffrey and giving him that type of contract? W- would you have advised that when you look at the production he has given that team, but also how the Todd Gurley fiasco played out? Now, two separate things, injuries and all, but still, uh, Gurley early on in his career was the workhorse that the same way McCaffrey's the workhorse in this system. Yeah, it's a great point on McCaffrey. Uh, McCaffrey is such a great receiver. Uh, he's so much of a key element to that offense. I can see why they did it. Uh, you let him go, and then how are you going to replace a receiver? If he was just a runner and he wasn't the receiving threat that he is, then you'd say no. But because this game is so much about catching the football for these backs, being an extension uh, you know, the, of, the, of the running game, just throwing them a short pass and letting them go, um, I, it, it's hard. that's a hard call, Kev. I get why they did it. Um, I understand Christian McCaffrey is a great football player. He is tremendously versatile. He means so much to that team in terms of their mindset, and uh, everybody loves him down there. So I, when you get a player like that, Kev, it's hard to let him go. I get that, and I understand why Carolina did what they did. And like I said, and I, for me, I would, I would agree with it because of the only reason he's not just a runner. If he was, like I said, I wouldn't, but since he does so many, I mean, he's their whole offense. He's everything mm-hmm. to that offense. Excellent point. What he can do, you know, on those screens, uh, it changes the entire offense. It's going to help Teddy Bridgewater and Matt Rule in year number one. Um, so uh, let's switch gears because we could talk about prospects and, and uh, all day long. I think, I think there's, there's a couple of other things though. We, we, we talked about it with Todd McShay last week and he had some great stories and I wanted to get your perspective when, when Todd came on the scene, he shared a great story with us about how he was this young guy and, and, and he got a call the first time he was on or the first time he was doing something and he, and he got really involved with you and he got a phone call where 
you were in the background and he was told that he he really ticked you off. And then you laughed and you were like, you could say whatever you want. How would you describe the relationship that you and McShay have had and, and where it is now, the evolution of this relationship where you guys in the beginning, I think, People thought, oh, who's this other guy trying to upstage McShay? And now when you guys go back and forth, there's so much respect. But at the same time, when you stand on something, you believe in it. And it's it's true, genuine respect. It is. And I, he, because he works so dang on hard and he loves it. And I saw that from the beginning. I said, who's this guy? He's come out of Richmond. He's a quarterback. I, I didn't know anything about Todd. I just saw that he's a former Richmond spider quarterback and he's young and he's, he's making all these comments. And I said, great, because I would always want to, I never wanted to be the last word. I always want to have somebody there to give a different view, a different opinion, a different, a different slant on things. Okay. And Todd brought that. And when I kept watching him, and then you remember the early years, I didn't know who he was. I met him, got to know him, uh, you know, and then we went back and Fourth and and, and it, see we I've always been one I don't care if it's you if it's Dari who we get fired up and people mm-hmm. say well you know you know like Dari and I are, as you know are close friends we're great friends and but we go at it on the radio show every Saturday morning you know we if we disagree we'll go at it if we anytime I just get very serious about it and people think well he hates McShay he hates McShay Kuiper hates McShay I got everywhere I went Kev all these fans that when I was doing college game day on the road I know you hate McShay I know you hate him I know you hate him yeah I said before I, I told him it was we were friends they didn't believe it they they, they like the fact they wanted to believe we hate each other okay so that's fine let's let that go if that's what they want to believe there's nothing i can do to change that but in terms of todd that story was interesting because we were at the draft it was like the night before the draft. Remember, you know, you know Gary Horton, the great yes, scout in the NFL. Yes. Gary's sitting there because uh, he was in research for ESPN. Then he's sitting there and he said, "I got to talk call McShay." I said, uh, "We said together." Said, let me tell me, what do you think? Be telling him that you're really fired. you're really mad at him. Yeah, you're not. You're you're going you're going to management. You're gonna you're gonna go talk about McShay, what a jerk he is, and he's this. And he, I said, I said, Gary, I said, you're really, he said, let me. I said, go right ahead. Said, Let's see. So we, Gary, I was sitting right next to Gary. Gary's telling Todd all this stuff. I'm laughing. I'm like, oh my gosh. I said, so after everybody else said, call him back. What do you care? So he had to call him back and tell him now. Just, we're just I'm laughing. So that was the story just to let him know that. Uh, Gary brought that up. It was so funny to get Todd's reaction. Like, what did I do? I don't think I did anything. I don't remember. <laughs> what did I do? Uh, I, mean, get real, I can see uh, Gary up here. let me hear the phone. Yeah, he's like, I don't know. Let me think about that. Oh, oh gosh. Yeah, I don't know if I did. What did I do? Oh, God, why would he be that mad? I don't get that. <laughs> so, so that was, that was, it, it was just to hear the reaction. It was hysterical. We still talk about it now. But um, – you know, and then of course the big wager we had it took the combine. Those things come up here and there. So um you know, it's always going to be something, but the, the different opinions are, are phenomenal. Like I said, he does a, a an outstanding job. So, uh, you know, he's, of course, he's carved this niche all these years. He, how many years? It seems like he's been there twenty years now. So, yeah. I mean, you think about Todd being so. You know, Todd's been at ESPN a long time. So yeah. again, now Jim Nagy's doing things here. You know, we got all these different people. You know, doing things. Daniel Jeremiah is going to be on the draft. Daniel's been a friend of mine for years, long before when he came out of App State and was working with Chris Mortensen doing things with Mort. I knew there Daniel very well then when he's working for the Ravens and. Of course, Jim Nagy, good friends. So, you know, it's just everybody's got different opinions and different views, but they all work hard and they're all good friends of mine. So I'll go to bat for anyone. I, went to, I, I was the one been pushing for Todd to be on the main set for 20 years. He, he knows. I, you know, I went, I've tried to get Todd with me he, when he first came to ESG. I said, put him on the main set with me. It'll be great. So uh, that, that's why, you know, the, the same thing with Jim, same thing with Daniel. It's going to be great to work with everybody this year. Uh, but you're the godfather. You're, you're the original. I mean, the, the books and everything that came out in front of everybody before 
before it was a prime time event that had to stretch out for three days in prime time. You know, when you look back at where it was to where it is now, what what stands out to you about uh, how you got into this, why you got into this, and and then how it's become a, a it feels like a, a billion dollar industry leading up to the draft. It's crazy, Kevin. I started, I was in high school, and I'm putting out reports, and Ernie, of course, he encouraged me to make it public. He said, fans crave this type of stuff. I'm 16, 17 years old, Kev, and I'm putting out these reports, and Ernie encouraged me to make it available to public. I did when I was 18, 19. Actually, I put them out for the media and for the teams, 18, 19. Put it out for the fans first one when I was 20, 20. I was 20, 21, and uh, that's when we started. And I started working at ESPN when I was 23. Ernie had offered me a position with the Colts that obviously didn't happen because Remember that that was when they traded John Elway, and Ernie was looking to move, move on. The team was possibly moving, so there was a lot of things going on there. Ernie said, "I can't bring you into this. I'm going to probably be leaving." Well, ironically, Kev, if Ernie wouldn't have done that, I'd have never been at ESPN because wow. if Ernie wouldn't have thought enough about me to say, "I can't have you come in," with knowing I'm leaving, it was it five months later? I got a call from ESPN to go up and interview for that position. So I would have been with the Colts. I would have never been at ESPN had not been for Ernie caring about a 22 year old, 21 year old kid at the time. And Ernie and I have been ring ring friends all the way through and um he's been a great uh, mentor great uh with great influence i mean without ernie encouraging me back in those days and my father taking over the business and running everything without uh, my father and without ernie i would have certainly never been where i am today and then obviously with espn chris berman bob lee when you come into that building and you're 22 23 years old back in 84 uh you know 23 at the time uh you, you don't know anything and and chris and, and, and uh, boom and uh, and bob lee made it easy for me uh, those two did and then after that uh, it just went from one thing to another. And the only other memory I have is when I'm sitting at the draft, Kevin, like day two. And yeah, I'm looking at Freddie Gadelli. You know, Freddie, the producer, the yep. great producer. Uh, Freddie's sitting there. I say, Freddie, why are you here? He said, I'm just scoping this out because next year we're, we're televising every pick. I said, are you kidding me? Every pick? Every round? I never, ever thought it would ever come to that, Kev. Never did I think it would come to that. That was a long time ago. And then Freddie got it going next year. We're there for every pick and every round. And it's been that way ever since. So to, to know where it was back in, like I say, 1979, 1980, and to see where it is now is is incredibly amazing. Incredible, and you're you're the face of it. You're the big reason why uh, that uh, generations have grown up and said, "I want to listen to Mel Kiper on draft day." Uh, before I let you go, because I know you got to go, I, I I need to get your assessment of Frank Caliendo as Mel Kiper. Wow. Uh, he's a great friend. We went to his shows. We, I sat for numerous shows. We were supposed to be there for one. I said, Frank, I'm going to stay for your other second show. So we, Kim and I and Lauren uh, stayed for everything down there. And uh, he's just super entertaining. And I, I told him, I said, Kev, give me a, you got to work, Frank, on a McShay. He says it's tough. I can't. I got, he's not, you know, he, he doesn't. I gotta get. I gotta find a way to do the McShay. I said you gotta get Todd. 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 Come on. Yeah. And he. And ironically, Kev, he created Todd. 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 I didn't. Yep. What happened was he and McShay were doing were something like a little back and forth before the draft. It was going to surprise me with it, uh, and then had to do this little piece. And and Frank said, "What does Mel do that is different?" He said, "Todd said, well, you know." He calls me by my last name. He always says Todd a lot. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm one like that. I say, Kev, I always talk to people and use their name a lot. So he said, and then Todd evidently doesn't like his name. He doesn't like Todd. Okay? He totally he like says. And he, yeah, he doesn't like his name. So I'm what? Todd, Todd. And, it's a, and so Frank exaggerated it. He exaggerated it as all comedians do, right? So Frank took it to a 
never let him with that Todd, Todd. And everywhere Todd would go when he does the sideline stuff, the fans yell, Todd, he drives Todd crazy because the fans are all yelling, Todd, 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 Todd. And that started a long time ago because of Frank. I had nothing to do with that, Kev. That was all because of Todd telling Frank that he uses my name a lot. And with a little difference than everybody else, I don't even like my name. He uses it a lot. I don't know if he does it to aggravate me, but he does it. And Frank just exaggerated that. And then here we are today with the Todd, Todd, Todd. It's the best thing. It's the best. When it was going on, uh, and we and Todd shared the story how he's in the chair for eight hours in makeup trying to get the Mel Kiper look. Uh, he delivered with oh, you guys. Hey, 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 Kev, this was after a long day. This is like days, days before the draft, right? We all got sore throats, right? We're all, you know, at the end, of, you know, when we get to the draft, we're all sick usually. I'm battling, so we're all, we're all sick. Every, every April I'm sick because, you know, you're worn out. You don't get any sleep. So I'm, I got a sore throat. Todd's the only, so we're all there and we're there, you know, from morning till night, you know, and at night I'm back. I go back to the hotel. Todd's, Todd's there, like I say, all night with Frank. He's, he's probably saying, Kiefer, look what you got me into with this. I'm here till midnight. I've been over. I got to get up at seven, like six o'clock, five o'clock this morning. I'm beat. I'm worn out. So yeah, that was all that night. I've never hear the end of the end of that one. That he was up all night with Frank doing that uh, thing. And I'll tell you what. I told Todd this guy. Todd did a. He seemed like he needed an Emmy award. I said you should be in movies. I mean, <laughs> he really is a natural actor because it was it was really an entertaining piece because of Frank, obviously, and what he did. But but Todd made it go. I mean, Todd, the way his reactions and everything were so nice. You know what Todd says? Because I was so daggone Todd. Tired. I didn't care. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 He's so, so tired. I didn't care. I just did what I was doing. So it was really a, a, a Todd just kind of made that go with Frank, and uh, I'm sure they'll come up with another one. But I, I can't wait to the day when he has a when Frank comes up with a Todd McShay impersonation. Uh-oh. I can't wait. And then you're going to be on the other side. You're going to have to act with Kelly Endo. That'll be great. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll put in my eight hours until two in the morning. Doing that <laughs> hey, Mel, we're, we're six days away from the draft when we're taping this, and we appreciate the time. We know you're in high demand, and I cannot wait to talk to you next week leading into it. And, then, of course, Thursday night as we begin the draft. And thank you for joining us here on the College Football Podcast. Anytime, Kev. You're the best, pal. Take care, man. Thank you, buddy. 